The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You are tuning in to the final episode of season one, and that's hard for me to believe, episode 22. It's a really amazing show today. We're sitting down just in a few moments with Drew Holcomb. He is one of Nashville's rising stars. Uh, He's an Americana folk rock artist that I've been a huge fan of for years. In fact, several of his albums, Medicine, Live at the Ryman, Souvenir, have all been sent exclusively to our patrons over the last few years. In fact, in some cases, they've been sent to our patrons before they were available anywhere else. So, you know, Drew is not a stranger to Lovegood. And really, after this conversation, I think it's pretty clear that Lovegood is no longer a stranger to him at all. He is so on point with what we are about, you know, in terms of really coming alongside uh, beautiful music, books, and art, and realizing that the transformative power that those things have in the culture, and perhaps most importantly, living that lifestyle ourselves to where we actually become, as Drew puts it, culture makers. You know, he talks about music killing loneliness, uh, but really our lives can do the same uh, in the way that we live and captivate others and really build culture around us. You know, we, we just create a world that's more human and more connected and more rooted. As always beforehand, I sit down with Janae Trudell. It is such a sad moment to say this is her final conversation with us as the co-host of season one, Janae Trudell. My goodness, what are we going to do without her next season? You know, she and I, we talk about in this final conversation, giftedness, what it really means to live our lives as a gift for others. And actually, you know, the the really mysterious reality that that's the only way to find fulfillment in this life is is to make a gift of ourselves to others. So yes, this is my favorite episode yet. As always, we are so appreciative of all of our listeners. You guys are amazing. So if you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, leave us a review and know that because this is the final episode of this season, we're going to be really leaning on you guys to spread the word over the next few months as we release a few sporadic bonus episodes leading into season two that I imagine will begin sometime in September. We love you guys and we'll be back in just a few moments.
You're listening to the Road Trip song off of Jay and Joe's debut EP. Is it an EP? Uh, I think it's... We intentionally... <laughs> <laughs> we intentionally crossed the lines. There's eight songs, so eight it's, it's an album, number. I think. We'll call it an album. Grounded in Light, <laughs> available exclusively on iTunes and at lovegoodculture.com. As you can tell, this is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down <laughs> with my trusted co-host for the last time this season, no. Chinea Trudell. Hello, everyone. So good to be with you. Oh, One last time. Yeah, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> It doesn't feel right. Yeah, goodbyes never do. Well, it's, it's interesting. Okay. We're talking about the road trip song. I mean, yeah, big road trip. This is it. <laughs> I mean, the drive to Canada. Remind me, we're talking twenty oh. hours total if you just went nonstop. Um, pff. hmm, yeah, cl- yeah, nonstop, probably close to that twenty-five. I don't know. Yeah, we made it here in two and a half days, Dad and I. So yeah. But we motored. We it, motored, didn't we, Dad? It's a funny thing to say, actually, because anybody who's following you on social media knows that you've actually already been back in Canada for a few weeks. <laughs> and this conversation was pre-recorded, which, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just letting you know. We're not trying to deceive you. Uh, it's just like a really crazy, awesome, beautiful, and sad thing that now your time in Nashville has come to a close. And um, here we are kind of anticipating that even mm-hmm. before it's actually happened. I'm so curious, even before we jump into this really beautiful conversation about gift or what you've even called the theology of the gift, um, what's, the, what's the one thing that stands out to you when you think, okay, what, what was the purpose? Hmm. Right. I know you've even said Oof. in the past that that's been veiled. You know, the, the entire time you've been in Nashville, you've been here a part of a really important season mm-hmm. of Love Good. A really important season of life for all of those who you interact with every day, myself included, David, Jessamine, the apprentices, Stephen, Cameron, Austin, uh, so many beautiful people that you've met along the way who you've really deeply touched. Um, there's no question in our minds how you've been a blessing to Nashville, right? <laughs> but it sounds like maybe at times you still feel like the, the blessing has been obscured for you or yeah. the purpose has been obscured for you. Oh, huh? yeah. yeah, of course. It's always harder to see it for ourselves, I think. You know, it's like, I know my mom always gets kind of frustrated when, <laughs> or confused when people come up to us, our family after a show or a concert, like, you guys are so amazing. And, you know, there's there's this and that about you. And, and like, we all know the chaos of our kitchen sometimes. <laughs> like, all the scraps that go on. So, yeah, honestly, I think other people can see it more clearly than than we do. Um yeah, the, it's been it's been a mysterious season for me, but also um, a really great a great blessing. And as veiled as it has been in my mind and heart, there's never been a question as to you know uh, that, whether that, or not. Yeah, whether or not this is this is the right thing, or or if it's worth it even, because ultimately it comes down to tasks and all the amazing things this podcast included and everything I've been able to be a part of. If, if all of that were, were kind of stripped away, um, I was called like, I'm, I'm here to, to love and to Mm. give. And, uh, that's always worth it to me at least. And, and I mean, I'm, that sounds, I may sound pious and like gross to some people. (laughs) Like I would probably listen to myself and be like, you did I just say that? But still it really is. It's, um, it's simple in that way. Like as long as there are, there are people and, and tasks through which I can love and, and give of myself, there's, that there's no question that that's worth, that's, that's worth my time and, and worth my day and my effort. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I look forward to like unpacking 
um, this whole season. And it has been a whole season, even though it's only been only been six months. It's been like a big, a big piece of my life. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll get back to you when I figure it out. <laughs> well, I know we've but, all really just felt privileged mm-hmm. from day one. Um, it's interesting. You talk about everything really just coming down to, to love and, and making a gift of yourself. That's obviously what our final conversation here mm-hmm. today is about. And I, I wonder how perhaps the last six months, nine months of your life has shed some new light on that. I mean, you wrote a brilliant independent study that you sent to me. I don't know. It had to have mm. been a couple of years ago. Oh, at least. Yeah, yeah. Three or four. Even longer. Called Theology yeah. of Giftedness. Mm-hmm. I know there was probably a lot of influence and inspiration on that. Yeah. Uh, but what was sort of the, the guiding thought behind that? And, and how has that played itself out here in Nashville, here in your life as you continue mm. to develop as an artist, as somebody who who loves young people? And uh, I mean, you just sort of have this this way of, of even making, I know me, the apprentices especially feel like you would do anything for them. Uh, what inspires all that? <laughs> hmm. Um, well, thank you. First, <laughs> that's a This is like an exit interview, by the way. This is hardly a conversation. <laughs> yeah. I'm officially <laughs> questioning you as if it was episode one and you were the featured artist, but you know what? Who cares? All the bets are off Back on the final the episode. Good old days. Yeah. Um, the theology of giftedness, it became really important for me um, my second year studying at St. Therese in, in Bruno, Saskatchewan, where I was living in community. Um, also just happened to be the time where I was like pretty much hitting like a little mini life crisis, I think, and was like, I have um, a part, even aside from my like artistic gifts, um, something inside of me that is like doesn't belong inside of me. Like I'm, it's supposed to be given and I don't know what to do with that. Hmm. Um and, uh, and so I had a whole class and a, a credit devoted to, um, studying one subject or, or something, uh, a concept and really, really diving into that. Um, and all, all the, t- the 10 of us in my class, they were really deeply significant to each and every one of us. And mine was on this, this concept of, of giftedness. Um, and it started out as being just merely musical, um, and quickly, transformed into something way more um yeah so it's I it's been a daily um companion for me and uh I've there's not a moment goes by that I'm not appealing to that that truth that I'm that I was created as a gift that I'm that I'm made to be gift and I'm not I say I I mean I as in like me and all of humanity (laughs) um uh, John Paul II wrote in uh, in his article, uh, Joy and Hope, he said, uh, man can only find himself uh, through giving a sincere and disinterested gift of himself, uh, which confused me at first. Um, but it basically, basically means uh, we are all on this search for, like, who we are. Like, whatever your background or faith or whatever we're all like the trying like I I was I'm finding myself like that's that's a universal term everyone goes through a season like that um and I feel like I'm I'm still in mine and probably will be for a long time but um these years right out of high school are extremely formative and, and it's when I've been more intentionally thinking about these things yeah so any coming to Nashville demanded another level of that in me after trying to live it for for a long time just this disinterested sincere um detached gift which really means 
Um, we are all, whether we're talented at anything or not, we're all inherently, innately gift. Um, and we're called to give that in a way that is unconditional, um, which doesn't mean being a doormat to people uh, to step on and like walk all over. Um, it also means to not be calculated in what we're what we're giving and and how we're giving it. So that I mean, I don't I try not to give. Uh, I only give if I know I'll be received perfectly, or I'll I'll only give or love if um, if I know it won't fall to the ground. Um, and, uh, that's a hard thing to do. That's a really tough lesson. And like any artist, I could like ask you right now to call in and like, tell me of your hundreds of experiences of playing in front of people that don't care, that don't care. And you're like bearing your soul. Um, and I've experienced that lots, lots and lots of times. Um, but John Paul II, he talks about this disinterested gift. And there was a lot of freedom when I learned that that's kind of, it's become, the very like the solitary purpose of my life really <laughs> is to just like give um and it's it's not an over pious like generosity I don't want to make it sound like that it's um a really deep um posture really of being receptive and also accessible and um giving of talent and heart alike. And it's really yeah. just so diametrically opposed to the way that most people interact in today's world, right? Mm -hmm. Even the idea of gift, it implies that it can't be taken. It can't be mm -hmm. grasped at. Uh, it has to be given and received. And I do think this is such a wonderful conversation to be having here again on the final episode because you have made a sincere and disinterested gift of yourself um, by way of friendship, by way of creativity, by way of uh, work ethic. And it is just, like I said, been an absolute privilege for everybody mm. who's been involved and who has been around you for the last many months. So, Jenea, we bid you farewell, but we know this is only the beginning. It's not the end. And uh, I'm sure there'll be another time where you get to co-host this podcast, <laughs> probably long past my time when uh, it's just ready, you know, for... Uh, for you to be back and I hope Nashville is ready for you to be back sooner than later so mm. thank you for everything you have been a great gift and uh, we'll see you next time yeah, thank you so much you and me you and me we're tired but we're trying to build a silver lining you and me you and me Listening to You and Me, the brand new single from Drew and Ellie Holcomb, available anywhere and everywhere digital music is sold. Well, Drew Holcomb, it is such a pleasure to have you in the Lucky Studio today. Good uh, to be here. It's the springtime, finally. And it is just a real privilege to be sitting down with you for so many different reasons. But let's start with the fact that I think we both have a shared love for this great state yeah. that we call Tennessee. Yeah, I, I love it here. You know, I grew up in Memphis, went to school in Knoxville, ended up here, so I've lived in sort of all three 
geographies of the state and um it's a it's a special place and i think music and nashville and the sort of culture that happens here is a is a big part of why i love that but also a big part of why i love memphis and um yeah it's a big big part of my identity mm, i'm afraid to ask but do you bleed orange or are you just sort of a mild ut fan i mean I, you know i grew up uh, a ut fan my childhood was uh had an annual you know, pilgrimage to Neyland Stadium uh, <laughs> with my dad. And so I definitely love it. I'm not a huge sports fan per se. So I don't, you know, I'm not on the websites reading about recruits and all that, but mm-hmm. I love to watch, you know, five or six of the games every year and, and uh, certainly uh, have done a lot of bleeding yeah. uh, in the last decade. Yeah. But yeah. hopefully we'll turn it around. But I do, I do love the balls. Well, I think Vanderbilt, being an alum, you know, from Vanderbilt, we all have a little bit of an inferiority complex. So the fact that we've beaten you three out of the last five seasons just feels really good. Well, you have the sports inferiority yeah. complex, and everybody from UT has an academic <laughs> inferiority complex. So I, yeah. I think it, I think the balance is pretty good. That's a really good point. Yeah. And, and so obviously you've been at this for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a, an amazing thing to even just watch the last few years unfold. It was probably about five years ago that I came across Good Light, and I was cool. totally floored by that album, and especially Live Forever. Yeah. My goodness, uh, there's so much there. And then I started to kind of see more of your music popping up on Noise Trade, and next thing I knew, I was sitting down having coffee with our mutual friend Paul Steele. Yeah. Before uh, I knew it, you were putting out a new album every year or two that I was enthralled with. I'm curious, you know, in your travels now and having some really incredible albums under your belt, some really exciting collaborations that are releasing even, you know, in the months ahead. You know, what have you learned about culture and the, the impact or the the way that music shapes culture? I mean, not only are you a Tennessee native, you know, and spent so yeah. much of your time across this great state, but you've now really traveled the country, perhaps even traveled the world. What are those common threads that you see? You know, what is the the need or or really the opportunity that we have as an American culture, as a, as a Western culture, to really rally behind, you know, what, what we're always talking about at Lovegood, which is with truth and beauty and goodness and really this art of being human. I think music does so much to yeah. enter into that dialogue and yeah, contribute. I think for me, there's sort of two places where music has uh, uh, an impact on people, and the, they're both cultures. One is the sort of local culture of the individual life, you know, and and where music sort of intersects with people's lives. And that can be something as simple as, you know, boy meets girl, listen to music, fall in love, song, you know, sort of is the, the soundtrack of their, you know, relational experience. And so they, you know, use the song as their wedding video or whatever. And uh, then there's, you know, songs that parents play for their kids and they sit in the living room and dance or there's the road trip songs that you know a group of guys or a brother pair of brothers or some siblings take a road trip somewhere and they have this music this shared connection uh and i think that's where music a lot of times is it's is at its most powerful and i think it's easy for artists to to miss that because they are, are so um sort of hopeful and ambitious to impact broader culture like the 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 national conversation or the global conversation and i think that um there's a time and a place for both and uh i I think i've learned that if you just write the best songs that you can about the world that you experience on a on a day in and day you know day out basis that 
you'll eventually hit both of those things. Mm. But the particular sort of defines the broader, you know, c- cultural rea- reality. So uh, I think, you know, most most uh, culture sort of happens uh, locally and then it, and then it grows you know, into these national things. I mean, like whether, regardless of what you think about it, it's interesting, like, um, you know, the parkland thing that's happened recently, mm. this very particular localized thing has resonated with young people across the entirety of the country. And now you have this, like, this um, thing that's happening and who knows what will come of it. But, uh, you know, I think music is a part of that. And it's interesting for me as a as a, like, you know, Southern white male singer songwriter. Like, there's just a lot of us. Yeah. There've been a lot of us throughout the course of history. You know, I mean, what I'm doing is not that far off the family tree of of a, of a Bob Dylan or a James Taylor. So I had to kind of do business with the reality that I was never going to be, um, uh, like a flashpoint in culture. Um, it's very very rare for that to be the case. Uh, but that doesn't mean that what I'm doing isn't valuable. I mean, like, it's Kendrick Lamar's time. It's not my time, yeah. you know, and I'm okay with that. Um, I think there's there was like a, a wisdom that came with that sort of uh, there's in some ways there was like a little bit of a creative funeral for that. Like, oh, man, like, you know, I'm going to I guess I'm, maybe I'm never going to have this huge moment uh, as an artist, but that's OK, because uh, I still have something to offer in those particularities of the where my music hits. And that's the interesting thing about the digital reality of today's culture is that there are all of these, um, there's not, there is not a culture anymore. You know, there are lots and lots of cultures. I mean, two people could live next door to each other and have almost completely different lived experiences of what it means to be an American, what it means to be a Nashvillian, what it means to be, you know, a man or woman. Like there's just, uh, because of the, the, the way we consume, you know, music, movies, news, uh, you know, all these different things. And then our subcultures, like if one person's, you know, like a, just loves cars and works on their car every weekend and their next door neighbor, you know, loves to go like hiking. And like those are, so, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we kind of particularize our existence. And I think it's music is an important way to, to a lot of times kind of connect people from different points of view. And I love that about our shows. We meet people that you know what they come from different political backgrounds different socioeconomic backgrounds different places but so this these songs resonate with their lives and that can can bridge a lot of gaps so what really strikes me actually about your music is that the more particular perhaps the more personal it is the more it has this universal appeal this universal kind of sync yeah it's wonderfully ironic isn't it it is yeah. it is and i i saw that especially a few years ago when we were able to release medicine to all of our patrons across the country about seven different countries and i saw this cross generational rallying behind this brand new artist at least to them mm-hmm. drew holcomb and the neighbors they just from my dad you know, who's definitely of the Bob Dylan, ACDC, you know, <laughs> uh, everything that was great in the 70s is still exalted, you yeah. know, in his, in his vinyl yeah. record player. And, it's uh, the golden era in his mind. That's it. Yeah. All the way down to the people who had first introduced me to your music, which were all college students. So that to me is remarkable. And I think that's part of that universal appeal, that universal power of beauty. You know, it, it reaches in to the human heart and the human experience that unites people across generations and socioeconomic statuses and political and religious backgrounds. And it has something to say 
to all of us. Uh, one brief example of this was uh, a bunch of friends and I went to go see it live on the green back in September, I guess yeah. it was. We were standing around a group of high school girls, and at some point, Ellie came out on stage. I want to say you were singing The Wine We Drink yeah. or something like that. Right. And these girls were up there watching married love in such a beautiful way that literally, spontaneously, one by one, we overheard them say, you know what? I, I've got to go home and dump my boyfriend because, <laughs> because that's what I want, you know? Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> poor fellas. It is. Poor <laughs> fellas. But you know what? You guys raised the standard for those girls that night. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, I've been sort of working through something recently about like in the in the sort of social media age, it's really easy to be a deconstructionist. You know, like everybody's a critic. Everybody can tell you what's wrong with everything. I mean, anyone who takes a chance to try to like uh, enact some sort of positive uh, art or or change or whatever or tell a good story there's always a critic to tell you why you didn't say it right or why you... yeah and it's it's interesting i i feel like it's an important thing for artists and uh sort of culture makers to think mm -hmm. through being constructionists or reconstructionists instead of being deconstructionists because it's it's harder uh and you have to take chances we went and saw um Brene brown speak uh, a few months ago and she was talking about how anytime you're sort of like leading um, cre creatively with vulnerability, you're going to have critics and you have to just, you have to learn to turn the comment section off and just to keep looking at, you know, cause a lot of times when you do things like the people that have a positive experience with, uh, or a meaningful experience with it, they're, they're not going to necessarily vocalize that, you know? And so just an interesting age. Um, and that's, we've thought about that even as we sing together, like wanting it to be, um, like, hey, you know, sometimes people have been married for 15 years and they still love each other. Yeah. And I mean, we certainly have our, <laughs> our moments, but um, yeah, so that's, that's cool. That's a cool story. I'll have to tell Ellie that she'll be encouraged. That's cool. And yeah. I think in an age where people are used to consuming and criticizing, we just simply need more creators, more people who are out there, as you put it, building culture, uh, bringing beauty into the world. And obviously you don't have to be an artist to do that. Sure. You know, we can all do that with our lives, but in a very particular way, artists do that. And I think especially songwriters, especially musicians, whether you like it or not, you're going to be up on a pedestal as long as you're on that stage and you're speaking into the hearts of the masses. So it really is a beautiful thing. You know, when you walk away from recording an album or when somebody walks away from hearing your latest single with Johnny Swim or they go and see you live and they're reflecting back on the experience that night, you know, what is the take home that you hope for? How do you hope that your music cultivates in people perhaps what you might call the art of being human? Yeah, I mean, I, if I had one sort of hope for my, especially my live show, is that people would walk away and feel like they're not alone. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that that's what any great music does. You sort of, even if it's sad music or like, you know, super culturally critical, it, a lot of times that speaks to, it, it like sort of, you know, I love that Woody Guthrie used to write on his guitar, like, this machine kills fascists, you know? <laughs> And uh, obviously it's in the 30s during the rise of fascism. I think in some ways, like generally speaking, it's like, um, you know, music kills loneliness. You know, we, we just hear like tons of stories of people where they've, you know, found a community through music or they've found like, a they've found 
something to say about their life that they couldn't articulate themselves. Mm. So if, if I can do that at all, then, then I would consider I would consider it successful. Well, we're sitting down as we always do with Jessamine Anderson, our brilliant and beautiful communications director. <laughs> How you doing, Jessamine? I'm doing so well. How are you, Jimmy? Really good. This is obviously a, a very next level way to end out the season with Drew Holcomb and you know this whole goodbye segment with Jenea. And this is a bit of a goodbye to you, at least for now. Yeah. I know that this has been a, a huge part of the podcast for a lot of people to kind of get into the practicals of how they can build a better culture. And this is also a really exciting moment for us as Lovegood. I know you have a, a big announcement, so let's just jump straight into it. Yeah, so we are really excited to be officially launching our race to a thousand. This is our race to a thousand patrons. We are currently at 337 patrons in seven countries. And we have a lot of really beautiful things happening. But when we get to that a thousand mark, things explode at Lovegood and the possibilities are endless. And the first big thing that we're going to tackle when we reach that a thousand point is to create a Lovegood mobile app. We've gotten a lot of requests from patrons for easier ways to access content, and that is what we want to make possible for everybody. So this app is going to be a one-stop shop for all of your content, for the music that comes out in our packages, video content that'll be exclusively available on the app, our blogs, all of our podcasts will be available on there. It will be the fastest easiest way to access absolutely everything and it eliminates the need for that pesky drag and drop that we have every season. We send out this beautiful music, but we want to make it even easier to get a hold of. What really excites me about the app, Jessamine, is not only can it be all those things you just described right out the gate, long term, we're going to be able to funnel more and more exclusive content into that app that literally, unless you're a love good patron, you will not have access to anywhere else. You won't be able to get it on Spotify. You won't be able to get it on Apple Music. You know, as we are really developing even books and art, you may not be able to find it anywhere else, whether that's Kindle or Shutterstock for that matter, you know, <laughs> and to really just be this one synced up, easy place where you can find all of our content and really just bring culture with you everywhere you go. I know I'm really excited about that. This race to a thousand is really important. We're very aware that our patrons on the ground are the real heroes of our movement, of our operations, and um, nobody has more power to spread the word about love good than you guys. And so if every one of you at this moment just went and found two more patrons, uh, we would be at a thousand overnight. Mm -hmm. And what's exciting about that is I'm pretty sure there's a referral code that every one of our <laughs> patrons has access to. If you can't find it, just email us at info at lovegoodculture.com. That'll actually give you $25 credits to your account every time you sign up a new patron with your referral code. It'll also give the friend that you refer free patronage for a month. So really, really exciting stuff, Jessamine. I cannot wait to see where this goes. We have quite a big summer in front of us, so we'll uh, be praying and hoping and persevering <laughs> amidst all of the amazing opportunities in front of us. Thank you so much, Jimmy. I hope you all have a great rest of your week and a fabulous time until we see you next season on the podcast. What have you seen in your lifetime as far as, you know, young people, the culture at large? Do you think we're, we're lonelier and more isolated and, and more confused 10, 15, 20 years later? Or would you say it's about the same? Are we on an upward trajectory? If you were to just kind of offer a brief, even anecdotal 
analysis, you know, personal analysis? Like, where do you think we yeah. are as a culture? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I'm a little more hopeful than most people. I mean, I think that we're experiencing a very strange time politically that I think will probably be a little bit of a, of a, of a like parentheses. I think that millennials, like I'm, I guess I'm like the oldest millennial, you, and you know, both. yeah, like yeah. we're born in 82. I didn't grow up with a cell phone, you know, but I got one as soon as I went to college. I didn't have texting until I was 21. I didn't have Facebook until I was 23. Like, so it was a little, definitely a different <laughs> era. Um, and I think what I notice is that people are maybe a little more unsettled than they were when, when we were young. But I think that the, like, the intentionality of people's uh, sort of journeys is, is at least in, the, in, in America, is um, there's more self-awareness, there's more uh, empathy, there is a lot of creativity and entrepreneurship. It's like people saying, like, well, that's the way it's always been. Well, that isn't, that's not a rule anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, even like what you've done, it's like people can, you can find something you love and you can, if you could find the right people, you can sometimes figure out a way to make it like, you know, your life's work. Right. And that's, that's unique. I mean, yeah. you know, our, our parents' generation for the most part had a job and they did that job and it was like a separate reality from who they, their like sort of personal identity. And that's nothing wrong with that, but it's different now at least for a lot of people uh, and maybe that's just living in nashville where it's a little bit of a sort of like creative independence mm -hmm. bubble but i do see that all over the country um i love reading uh nick Kristoff's end of the year thing he does every year about like it's like it's like kind of this actually it's getting better and it's like global poverty is at an all-time low mm. you know malaria is at an all-time like there's all these things that are getting better uh, is are we also having some like scary moments uh, as far as like stability in the world in different places? Absolutely. Uh, and there's a lot of like things that could go wrong and we'd stay, pay attention and stay vigilant. But there's also like, you can only really work on what you can control and that's the world around you and, you know, sort of pray for mercy for everything else. And so I, uh, I don't have a very hopeless outlook. I have a, I have a, a sorrowful outlook that there's a lot of like hurting people and a lot of problems in my own community and in the world at large but i do think there are a lot of people paying attention to those things and trying to uh you know trying to to create solutions for real problems and there's another interesting thing i talked about with some of my friends which this is a, like a generational you know our, the generation above us they love to sort of talk about oh everything's you know going to hell you know the culture's falling apart and we're all you know woe is everything right now i would just like as an asterisk say that's not my parents so if they see this and they're like we don't we're not like that i'm like i know <laughs> you know just want to give them the props there but uh most of my close friends are, are young dads you know and they apologize to their kids when they're wrong you know like i think that's a really interesting hmm. thing is i don't think we grew up like that <laughs> You know, our parents were always right. Yeah. So there's like a new humility, which I think is yeah. an interesting thing. Um, I think we also like probably too often want to learn things the hard way and we don't take any right. cues from the past. And there are a lot of good cues to take. I was a history major, so I sort of think in like linear truth and consequence sort of way. So, uh, but I, I think we live in a very interesting time and, and even what I would consider sort of the the chaos of the current political situation has actually um, 
sort of like, you know, like a, like an ER when they used to bring out the like hospital things and shock people awake. I think that's sort of what's happening. And so I think there's a lot of good that's going to come from it. That's right. I mean, it puts everything in rapid clarity, yeah. you know, when we're in seasons like we are currently as a country. And, you know, some would say that that has been a season for five, ten plus years. Yeah, it's just, it's just been under the surface. That's right. Yeah. Or even longer, maybe. You, you know. can't deny it anymore. Yeah, and I do think that the, the, like, news bubble thing is a really, like, we do live in alternate realities. Like, right. if you if you kind of, you have to choose, like, one of two menus, and you can't, like, cross them, mm-hmm. you know, or at least that's what they would tell you. That's right. That's exactly how it feels. And, and, that, and that's not good. Yeah. You know. And so I appreciate what you're saying about a new humility, even a new intention. So if maybe perhaps millennials feel more unsettled than ever, I mean, I... I absolutely relate to that up until about a year or two ago when I finally started to kind of hone in on, you know, what I call the, the mission of my life, the purpose that I was, that was made for, you know. Um, for a while, I was just adventuring and roaming and wandering, uh, which is a great thing. Yeah, and yeah. A privilege, you know, to even be at a place as a society where young people can do that, you know. Um, whereas my dad, I think, actually had to go to work right out of college. Yeah, it wasn't an option. There was no yeah, yeah, freedom. And I think our parents' generation has done a good job at sort of like, uh, like at least mine did, of going like, okay, this is not what I'm used to, but you, you know how to work hard, and you're, you seem pretty sharp, and you're paying your own bills. So Yeah, keep going. Keep going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I don't really know how to give you advice on this because I've never done it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I feel that from my parents yeah. quite a bit. So this is what's interesting is whether it's your music or – you know, the kind of media that we're constantly curating. We want to help, especially young people, uh, love what is good so they can become what they love. That's why we're called Love Good. And I think, you know, for the most part, there's pockets of culture everywhere. Well, that happens naturally. I I would say Nashville is one of those pockets. Mm, For sure. It's probably not the norm, um, but I think it's so attractive and appealing that once encountered, people, especially young people, can't help but want in on it. You know? So I'm really... Just curious, you know, as you think about that idea of being a culture maker, of creating a culture where it is easy to choose the good, which really that's just virtue. We're talking about the, the freedom and the joy of, of living a life of goodness. You know, mm-hmm. what I appreciate so much um, about artists like you, Drew, and, and so many of the artists that are following in your footstep and standing by your side and perhaps who have gone before you just by a few years or a few albums is you know how to lead with beauty while rooting it in the truth in a way that can't help but transform people, even subtly, even those girls at Live on the Green realizing that they had to go home and, and dump their boyfriends. <laughs> um, it really is a remarkable thing, and right. I think it's, it's the way to move forward. Like you said, we, we can't go back to the, to the combative, polemical, um, proselytizing approach you know, to, to fighting against the culture and yeah. setting up shop next door, you know? So, yeah, be very encouraged. I'm curious. There's a lot of good things coming. I'm really pumped to hear the full Goodbye Road EP. Ring the Bells with Johnny Swim is amazing. Tell us a little bit about that process. What's that special project all about? Yeah, so it just started as a conversation between friends, between Abner and I, about the potential of maybe doing some touring together. And then we were like, well, maybe if we're going to talk about that, we should create something together. And so I flew out to L.A. where they live and... We wrote a couple songs, and it, we wrote uh, the first song, Goodbye Road, and, and, and Ring the Bells in a two-day period. And it was uh, three days after the Charlottesville white supremacy rallies. And so um, we were very sort of uh, heavy-hearted, but also like wanting to um, 
stand up and say, this is not who we are. Ring the Bells was written as a direct song to a number of Christian leaders who were defending a lot of the commentary that was just tinged with, you know, ignorance and racism. And, um, you know, both Abner and Amanda are people of color, and so they have obviously a very unique point of view on it. And um, we just had a really beautiful time writing these, these, these songs together. And then the interesting thing was we actually recorded them un, you know, unplanned uh, right after, like we went into the studio two days after Vegas, which was the day after Tom Petty died. So wow. we actually recorded I Won't Back Down for the EP and it's a very like emotional acoustic and string section version of the song and uh, I think that there was a specific mentality that we were actually writing towards sort of uh, our you know I think in some ways both I, I don't know if it's supposed to speak for them but I've always felt a little bit like a prodigal with as it relates to the church because I've in a lot of my music has been about my own journey of sort of doing business with a lot of the things that turned me away from the church, but also like experiencing a lot of, uh, particular love and affection from people within the church, mainly within my family. And so there was never like, I couldn't like ever walk away, but I never felt at home. It's just a strange place to be. So you feel like a certain loyalty to it, but, but I've always figured, trying to figure out how to say something in Wild World was a little bit of this, like this is a song off of Souvenir, and so Ring the Bells was really like, okay, let's just tear down the curtain and like say it, you know, and uh, it's been interesting because we've gotten all this feedback from people who feel the same way, and they mm. feel like they needed like an, and, and to do it inside of an anthem and not like a dirge yeah, is, a, is a really, I think, an important thing, you know, it's like getting our inner, like, you know, Bono and Mumford and like all the like, <laughs> ah, let's do the, you know, yeah. and uh, criticism as invitation, I think mm. was sort of the thought there of that song instead of like criticism as a as a like a line in the sand, mm. you know. I love it. So that's sort of it. where those songs came from. And I think there's an invitational quality to that, uh, an authenticity and an invitation that people can't help but at least, you know, consider and, sure. and want to, you know, take a step back and, and, and reflect for a moment, you know, because we just had a incredible conversation with a good friend of mine, Audrey Assad, who yeah. I think feels very similarly at times where, you know, she has this, this love and this loyalty to a church and to a faith that has also wounded her mm-hmm. and left her at times feeling really uncertain and insecure. And, and yet she's clinging on to hope with with yeah. your life yeah that's the con the like construction part of it that's right and and it's, and it's it's internal and then it comes out in your work which then becomes an external like trying to trying to like throw some tools on the table yeah and if you were pretending you had it all figured out the rest of us would have nothing to connect to when it came to your music <laughs> for sure you know and we'd be a liar that's right that's the most important and part it's, so it's just refreshing <laughs> i'm curious you know you, you spoke of bono and mumford and i'm sure many of your friends who are artists here in nashville what are your biggest influences and, and what are the albums that you really are listening to right now that you'd recommend to the world uh yeah i mean the influences are you know there's just a mile long list i mean springsteen's my sort of like go-to um inspiration um, just as a creator and as a as a as a as a human artist, you know, who who, who does the human thing well as an artist, you know, mm. that's hard to find. Uh, you know, Petty, massive influence. Dylan, Patty Griffin, 
Carol King. I mean, there's just great songs, you know, is what I love and, and have always sort of connected with. But then I also love, you know, Beck and the Flaming Lips and Wilco. And so it's, you know, there's there's a, a wide swath of artists that, that do different things that I, I'm inspired by. Uh, listening to... Um, we this new Brandy Carlisle record has been like the record of my spring. Mm. There's just the songwriting is um, she this this record has got to, is going to be like a record that people are listening to in 50 years. There you go. Um, so that would be on the music side, and then on influences on other things. I, I read a lot, so you know Steinbeck and um, Dostoevsky and you know Pat Conroy and any you know good storyteller that's sort of also knows how to hook you and, and write and pat conway like lords of discipline yeah oh man that's yeah. a classic i read that one twice in yeah. high school i couldn't put it down i've got all of his books is in first editions so he, wow. he passed away two years ago I never got to meet him which was a disappointment but uh love his love his writing and his southern sort of you know dark melodrama yeah <laughs> you know? yeah it's intense yeah it's intense but i think a lot of people relate to it's it real. so yeah it's very real so there i mean there's just uh there's so much i'm reading this this uh biography right now called why should the devil have all the good music which is a biography of this rocker named larry norman who larry norman yeah. was the original sort of uh kicked out of the church for playing electric guitar and rock and roll music <laughs> in the late 60s he's a very complicated human um the book's pretty good uh but this you know i just love i love his uh his record it's called only visiting this planet and it was like this 70s record it's like really interesting because it's like full of like total rock and roll music but like this absolute apocalyptic dispensational theology that's like it's all gonna end right now you know tell everybody and gather up your things and move to a commune and, yeah and so it's like it's just a moment in time it has this brilliant some brilliant <laughs> cultural criticism and he's just a very unique guy so that's the book i'm currently reading that's great i have to say i do love a good you know apocalyptic literature uh it just keeps me <laughs> up at night and losing all my sleep that's the real problem yeah he, he, he was he had this like sort of hit i mean he didn't have hits back then he had this song called i wish we'd all been ready and it's about the like the rapture you know you're just like it's like tim LaHaye meets keith richards yeah you know it's sort of weird uh, that's great stuff well i can tell you you know creativity begets creativity beauty unfolds into even more beauty and i think not only are you a witness to that by how you've been influenced, you know, by creatives and artists around you, even historically, uh, you're, you're actually doing that for so many of the artists that I know and love and work with on a near weekly basis. Oh, so thanks. just on behalf of everybody, uh, who knows your music and is certainly aware of the need for more beauty and more truth seekers in the culture at large. Thank you. This has been a really privileged conversation. Before we close out, obviously, we want to be supporting Goodbye Road. I know your Moon River Festival is already sold out. It How is. can we be rallying more behind Drew Holcomb and the neighbors in the next few months? What do you oh, I mean, coming? yeah, we're, we're going to do this tour with Johnny Swim. We have, we announced the dates, I think, next week. So Great. Um, I um, Yeah, we'll be doing that this summertime and uh, putting out that EP. And then, you know, I, I just love people to follow along on on the email list and stuff like that because we're always up to something you know we've got um ellie and i for the first time did a a, a duo tour in february for like 12 shows i think we're going to do it again next year and i'm writing and recording more than i ever have and i'm not sure what it's all for but i'm i'm just enjoying the process and um you know speaking my mind along the way as best i best i know how 
That's awesome. Well, a lot of easy ways then to stay in touch by way of social media, emails, everything else. True, it's been a total joy to have you in today. I look forward to doing this again sometime. Thank you, I appreciate it. You question everything. Why the grass is green? Can I stay up late? And why do bluebirds sing? Sometimes you cry your big blue eyes for no discernible reason. Your point of view, it comes and goes like the changing of the seasons. You got your mama's sunshine. You got your daddy's rain. You're like a piece of heaven in a hurricane. your mama's sunshine you got your daddy's rain you act just like your father yeah you laugh at your own jokes you're pleased with your opinions girl you want the world to know we don't need no you're listening to Mama's Sunshine Daddy's Rain from the 2017 release from Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors called Souvenir available everywhere digital music is sold you know what an incredible joy it was to have Drew in the studio, which really exciting is hopefully within the next few weeks, we'll be releasing a YouTube unabridged, unedited video of that conversation. And I can tell you, uh, Drew's the real deal. He's one of those artists here in Nashville that we've been tracking for several years now and just feel incredibly blessed to have now spent some time with in person. As you probably are very aware, he, he speaks our language and really gets what Love Good is all about. And so for us to rally behind him and his continually uh, kind of unfolding career is a huge, massive privilege for us. Well, this is that point in the show every week where typically we play back a question from one of you. But you know what? I really thought this was the right moment to bring in one of our apprentices, specifically the one who engineers his podcast week in and week out. His name is Cameron Clutter. If you didn't know, he's from Columbus, Ohio. God's country, and he's also one of the finest human beings I've ever known. He works tirelessly behind the scenes. He makes this podcast sound so good every week, and he now has a question for me. Yeah, dude. So the apprenticeship program as a whole has been just life-changing for me, and everything from the intense prayer to the accompaniment and even the podcast have been so much fun, and the podcast in particular actually because... I didn't know how to edit audio before coming into this year. And so it's just been a really fun journey being a part of that. And some of my favorite moments have been hearing you dream out loud about where Love Good is going in the future. And I know that we already announced the race to a thousand, but I'm just curious, where's it going next? Like, what do the next five years look like? What do the next 25 years look like? Cameron, I, I really love that question, obviously, because I am inherently, fundamentally a dreamer. I'm always thinking about where we are going. And, you know, this race to a thousand, that's going to help us, you know, launch Love Good Adventures and eventually move us to a place where we can actually provide full funding, like total investment in every project that we ever distribute again. Uh, it's an exciting first step. You know, the, the reality is, you know, as well as anybody, that our apprenticeship program is growing just like our patrons are beginning to really increase as well. And we're currently in seven countries. 
You know, we have patrons in seven countries. We have apprentices who have applied from five of those countries. And what that really means is two beautiful things are now kind of on the rise at the same time. And my hope and my prayer is that over the next few years, as Lovegood grows, we can we can start employing our apprentices part-time. We could open up a coffee shop that embodies our mission, where we not just have a beautiful place to sip on a cup of java, but we've got live music. We've got books that you can borrow any time of the day and watch parties and listening parties and just real intimate encounter where people can come and really grow in friendship and ultimately build culture as a community of people. That's the dream. You know, once we get to four or 5,000 patrons, that becomes very doable here in Nashville. And from that point forward, we just simply start expanding that model everywhere. You know, suddenly one day we've got patrons in every region. We've got warehouses that support them with all of our products, uh, but we've got coffee shops where the whole thing just comes to life. So really, really cool. I mean, Cameron, any closing words from you as the engineer of the inaugural season of the Love Good Podcast? Anything you want to say to all of your adoring fans? Yeah. Uh, this whole thing has been a blast editing the podcast every week. Anybody who's listened from episode one knows how my editing has come along since then and has been with me through all the mistakes and, and hilariousness throughout it all. So thank you all for listening. And, uh, all the comments and reviews have been very exciting for me to read and encouraging throughout the whole thing. And this has been just a wild adventure and, and I'm excited for what comes next. And Cameron, it goes without saying that it's been an absolute privilege to have you on board this year and to just see the work that you've done in the way that this podcast is really reaching out to people in every corner of the world. So on behalf of all of our listeners and everybody at Love Good, we say thank you to Cameron Clutter. We're going to miss you next year. Um, I also think this is the right moment to say thank you to Janae Trudell. I mean, I know we kind of got weepy there towards the end of her segment, but what an incredible uh, surprise it was uh, a year ago when she called me up saying, I, I want to come to Nashville and be a part of Love Good, the apprenticeship program, just kind of the future uh, growth of this movement. And little did she know that within a few weeks of being here, she would be brought on as the co-host of the podcast. And what an incredible co-host she was. What a gift to us. And I know to all of our listeners that have been able to enjoy so many of those profound dialogues with somebody that I'm sure we all now love, not only as an artist and a thought leader, but really as a friend, especially around here. Everybody, you guys are the real heroes of this operation, this little movement that we call Love Good, this growing media enterprise. You are the one putting yourselves on the front lines of culture, raising your standard for music, books, art, media in general, and most importantly, allowing that standard for media to really become a way of life, a way of life that actually influences, transforms, and builds culture in a way that I think we can all agree the world is looking for and longing for. So just know of our profound appreciation, respect, and ongoing prayers for all of you, um, the way that you inspire us to keep moving forward. Uh, you have no idea uh, how good of a thing that is and uh, how powerful uh, a movement it really is that we're all a part of, you know, to step forward into the unknown day in and day out with the hopes of really captivating this world with beauty, rooting our lives in pursuit of the truth, and really trusting that that goodness that overflows will truly transform our lives and everybody that we encounter. So to all of our patrons out there, especially who make this podcast possible, we say thank you to you. We cannot wait for season two, but know that 
in between now and September. There's going to be some really, really cool bonus episodes that we know you're going to enjoy. We love you guys. We're going to miss you for the next few months, but we will see you in the fall and intermittently in between. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Hey, what are you guys doing? No, don't go anywhere yet. We're not done with the episode. Actually, you just stumbled into our blooper segment which uh, Jimmy doesn't know we're doing. So throughout the last 22 episodes, we've done a lot of takes of a lot of different things, and it's been so much fun, especially the bloopers. Those have been my actual favorite part of the podcast. And so today with me here, I have the other two apprentices, Austin and Steven. Introduce yourself, guys. Hey, Ro. Hey, what's going on, guys? Cool. And we're just here to facilitate a little blooper segment, and it's going to be crazy fun and hilarious. So sit back and enjoy. And to kick us off, one of Jimmy's favorite words in the universe. Take a listen. Wowza. Wowza. Hmm. I must have been pretty excited in that uh, in that moment right there. Wowza. I don't even remember where it was from. So, Austin, where are you originally from? Well, Stephen, I'm originally from Tampa, Florida. And, um, yeah, I'm just uh, happy to be here. Nashville, Tennessee. A little bit colder than I'm used to, but... Yeah. Um, what uh, y'all might not know is that Austin has an amazing personality, and yeah. once you really start to get get to know him, he grows on you. And here's a segment where Jimmy is definitely displaying the Austin persona. Yes, <gasps> yes. What Stephen didn't mention is uh, Austin also likes long walks on the beach. Um, but that's enough about me. Speaking of Stefan, um, Stephen, what time did you wake up this morning? Uh, I mean, it was a little bit past my alarm. I definitely hit snooze what, a few what times. What is your alarm? Just, What's my alarm? Yeah, like, like do yeah. I set one or I definitely set an alarm? Just whether or not I wake up to it—that's mm. the question, you know. Mm. I mean, I can attest to this through Jimmy though. I I, I think I remember one segment where uh, he snoozed it all the way to the middle of a podcast. Be there for all these people that really need someone. Mm. So, oopsies. Dang, <laughs> that's my alarm going off. Yeah, Jimmy had a lot of fun moments, and I remember this one time he was actually recording one of Jessamine's segments with her, and they were they were talking about big name artists, and all of a sudden Jimmy Jimmy revealed his love for a specific artist. Take a listen to this. You mean like something that makes me feel better than Taylor Swift? Like is that even possible? <laughs> yeah, we almost went on a date in my imagination once. Yeah, you know I don't know if. Uh... I think Jimmy's moved to more of what Janae would say is like a, a meh. Here, play this one real quick. Meh. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, how Jimmy meh. feels about, about her now with their new stuff coming out. Talking about love so much, it's just a little bit too sappy for me. And here's a moment where Jimmy made everybody uncomfortable when he talked about love. 
<laughs> and I love love good. That was stupid. <laughs> yeah, that was a definitely you know. Get rid of that one. <laughs> Never say love, love good. You gotta say I am a fan of love good. I am a patron of love good. Let's mm, go. Yeah, sign up to be a patron, y'all. Shout Ooh. out all them patrons out there. We love you. Thank hey, you. We um, love you guys, but we are fans of love good. All right, folks. Well, this is a lot of banter, and <laughs> I I don't know what to make of it. Out. But Jimmy put it Probably. a really good way once. Ba 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 ba. And that's how I feel right now about all this banter. It's just kind of going on and on and on. Anyways, any other bloopers for you guys to queue up, fellas? Hey, man, quit dogging me about the bloopers. This is a rough one. That, that was Jimmy making dog noises. Dude, that I was think? so cheesy. Have you ever heard a contagious laugh? You know, something where you just hear it and you want to just join along? I, I, I hear that in Janae's laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Yeah. That's, I miss her laugh. Miss you, Janae. Shout out my homie up there in, in the northern northern side of North America. Wow, northern Saskatoon. side. Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Hey, play it on repeat for a second. <laughs> Dude, I hear a dubstep beat in there. Mm. Mm. Hey, what is uh, one of y'all's favoritist moments of the year? Obviously, the favoritist moment in the podcast. Well, it's time for the most favoritist. <laughs> I don't even know why I said it like that. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah, I'd say that was a highlight for sure. I love that we're going to release this and actually get to keep on and hold on to it throughout the years. To use Jimmy's word again. Wowza. Sometimes uh, when we go into a school, you know, I just get so excited. And um, this is kind of what I feel like. What if I listen to music like this all the time? Thank y'all so much for all the support you give Love Good and all the support you give us and, and this cat that just wandered in this, this studio right now. Um, sounds rabid. The outro! And all in all, we just thank you guys for all of your support over the last few months of the apprenticeship program. And just to send you off, we have one of the outro bloopers from the outro segment that Jessamine recorded for us. So uh, see y'all later, and we'll, we'll leave you with this. Join the movement today that we hope for tomorrow. For tomorrow. <laughs>